Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. We're here today with a couple of our guys. Pastor Scott is still out um, with the baby. And so I got Dave Arnold, Tim Michelangeli, Spencer Snow here to uh, talk today as we continue walking through the Baptist faith and message. Um, today we're walking through the topic of the kingdom. What is um, the kingdom of God? So we've talked about what we believe about the Bible, about the church, about who God is, about salvation, about the church. We've talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And now we find ourselves talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So any profound thoughts before I read any of this about the kingdom of God or the Baptist faith and message or where we're at? Oh, you're muted, aren't you? Why would you mute me? When I was meaning to mute Scott. I was meaning I mean, to I can Scott. leave. No, I don't. It's close to lunch. No, I could go eat. I don't want you to leave. You sure? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, please stay. So, um, so the kingdom, uh, the kingdom, the kingdom. The, the kingdom. Bible has a lot to say about kingdom. As we were talking in our last, uh, yeah, we did a sermon recap before this. Should be released. Probably a lot about the day. same, yeah. same things. But um, the Book of Matthew mm-hmm. talks a lot about about kingdom. You just hear a lot of kingdom talk. Jesus, King of the Jews, right? So there's a lot there. I think that you need to kind of know, understand what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are, are you going to read what the Baptist faith and message says about kingdom? You want me to read the Baptist faith and the message about what the, about what the kingdom is? Yeah. If you don't I mind. I mean, I think you've done that in each episode. <clears throat> I've read a lot of it, but uh, not everything. Okay. Let's, let's read a little bit of this. Um, the kingdom of God includes both his general sovereignty over the universe and his particular kingship over men who willfully acknowledge him as king. Particularly, the kingdom is the realm of salvation into which men enter by trustful, childlike commitment to Jesus Christ. Christians ought to pray and to labor that the kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth. The full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ and the end of the age. So it's it. You got two basic, big, big aspects of of the kingdom, of God's rule. God's reign over the earth. Um, there's a, obviously this is a, a big topic. You could probably find a ton of books on the topic of uh, the kingdom. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Graham Goldsworthy has a big thing on the kingdom, right? I believe. Yeah. I think he's got a big book on topic talking about that whole theme. Um, I also think about an older work by a guy named Gerhardus Voss has a work on the kingdom. Um, so the kingdom can refer to, of course, the king. Um, it can refer to the sphere, the things that he rules mm-hmm. over, or it can refer, refer to the idea of his rule, his uh, reign aspect as well. So it can include all sorts of different aspects um, in, in the Bible about uh, kingdom. But first of all, it talks about here that the kingdom includes both God's general sovereignty over the universe as well as a particular king ship over believers. So let's first of all talk real quick about the fact that God rules over the universe. He has a sovereignty, a control, um, a rulership over the whole 
um, universe. One guy, John Polhill, um, who's found in that uh, exposition of the uh, Baptist faith and message that was done uh, through Southern Seminary, says this, As creator, God is absolute ruler over his universe. Many Old Testament passages speak of this sovereignty in terms of God's being king. The New Testament, likewise, often refers to the dominion of God as creator. So this is talking about God's creatorship, um, his rule over creation in his role as the creator of, of, of all things. Um, why is that an important doctrine for us to keep in mind and to remind ourselves as believers um, or to remind uh, unbelievers of this, this truth as well? I think because sometimes, even as believers, we can look at the things going on in the world and think, um, you know, what is, uh, what's going on here? It seems pretty chaotic. It seems out of control. It seems to be going very bad. Um, and so what is God doing in the midst of this? You know, and, and some would say, well, yeah, he's released it. He doesn't know that the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, and so he is the creator overall. And that's why this is important in that sovereignty, that he has a general rule, sovereignty over all things, everything. Nothing happens outside of his purpose, outside of his, outside of his plan. But there, and so also when you look at creation and you look at God as creator, there's also this general sense to which God loves all of his creation. And so we do see good things that God does for all of his creation. Air we breathe, water to drink, you know, just some general things that God just being good has given us, you know, sunshine, uh, our bodies to function and move. Uh, there's, there's people who rebel against God completely, but yet they wake up healthy. Right. Or they might even be married and have kids or have a good job and have money. And we would say that the Bible teaches that all these good things come from God in his grace and his mercy to show his love to to man, to his creation right. mm-hmm. in that way. Right. And one theological term we would use some to underneath that is common grace yeah. mm-hmm. to distinguish it from saving grace. But there is a common kindness that God shows the whole uh, world. Jesus says that he makes the rainfall on the just and... Uh, the, the unjust, mm-hmm. right? I think also I, w- I would put um, spicy chicken sandwiches as another uh, gift common of grace. common grace. Agreed. Um, yeah, and it's also sanctifying sometimes too. The crispier the better. Yeah. <laughs> the, like crispy. I do. Crispy stuff. Um, <laughs> and I think um, I, I did a, at my previous church, I did like a Wednesday night Bible study on, you know, doctrinal themes uh, of, the, of, of the Bible. And I, I mentioned sovereignty and this idea of general sovereignty. Because, you know, that word sovereignty or sovereign can, yeah. can be misunderstood and has can have some baggage to it and layers to it. But simply, you know, simply put what I said is that, you know, knowing that God is sovereign takes all the pressure off because right. he's in control and we don't have to figure out, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, how's this going to work out? Right. How's COVID going to work? You know, all this stuff that we were, right. we do worry about. And it takes the pressure off because mm-hmm. God is sovereign over all of his creation. By his very word, it says in Hebrews, he holds up the universe, the power right. of his word, which is just an amazing thing to think of. Because that's different from the deist. Who, all right, right. Some deists would say, well, God, it's like what they talk about, the winding of the clock, yes. right? God wound the clock, got it going, and then he let it go. So we're just experiencing whatever. God's let the world go. But yeah. we still believe that God has the whole world in his hands, mm-hmm. and he's still actively ruling in yeah. it. And that was a problem with open theism, which I don't know is as common or popular now as it was like when I first started in ministry, like in mm-hmm. 2002 and three. Right. Kinda, but that idea of that like God doesn't 
quite know. He he has right. an idea of what's going to happen in the future, but he's not. He doesn't he's quite a, know. He's a great chess player. Because yeah, because ultimately we as people of will, volition, can right. you know determine that, and that that was right. It, it undermined God's sovereignty. That's the whole yeah, point, yeah. Is God great. is just responding to yeah. us, right. right, and is countering us, responding yeah. to all of our stuff. But that's not what this idea believes. He right. he rules over the universe. He actively causes the rain to fall. I mean, uh, all of those things happen mm-hmm. as part of His plan, His purpose. And he's actively bringing them out about through 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 secondary causes. So through you know he he uh, he he causes the earth to rain by uh, causing the rain to evaporate into the clouds, and you know he goes through all of those means. But but he does he does that, and you can see that in like uh, I see that Psalm one hundred three is mentioned. Uh, psalm one hundred four is also another psalm where God's uh, n- control of nature. Um, control of the world. You can see it as well in like, uh, I think of the book of Job. Um, oh, yeah, it's good. Particularly with uh, yeah. like Elihu, who is proclaiming God's uh, glory and majesty and control um, uh, through, uh, through but, but his rule and his active work. Mm-hmm. So, so God is in control over the whole, the whole universe. Nothing happens um, without his, his kingship is, is over that. But there's a second way um, which we can understand kingship, and that is part- God's particular, special, unique kingship over believers, over his people, the the objects. of He rules all over all of creation, but he has a special kingship over those who are uh, believers. And so it says here, particularly, the kingdom is the realm of salvation, the realm of salvation. And we see that uh, found it here in uh, John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God here is one of salvation, of redemption, of God's special work in Jesus as the God-man. Uh, right, so... Um, talk a little bit more about the kingship and in relation to salvation, though, in this particular way. I've had some people ask me, like, can I teach the kids and tell them that God loves them and be faithful? And I think this is where this is what the question is coming up from is like, because I don't know if if this kid is ever going to accept Christ. I don't know that. You know, I don't I don't know what's going to happen in this kid's life. So is it wrong for me to tell him God loves him? When I don't know if he's ever going to be saved, like I don't know this, and my answer to that was kind of what we're talking about here. There's a general sense as God is creator, as we talked about, where God does love that child, and there's right. nothing wrong with standing before a room of people, saved, unsaved alike, to say, "You need to know that God loves you." Mm-hmm. I think it's faithful to give that call. I think it's even faithful to give the call then to tell them about Christ, what Christ has done, that Christ's blood is sufficient to save them. If, if by grace through faith they will accept this, that it's there for you. God's love is there. But there is a sense of what you're talking about here in this point about the kingdom of God when it comes to believers only. And there is a different, even a different sense of love there than just that common love that God has over his creation. Mm-hmm. Um, salvific love, I think I've seen it written. Right. Yeah. This this yeah. love that means salvation. And you say, well, how does this couple with other things? Because like in Timothy, it says God desires for all men to be saved. Yes, he does. 
there is this desire here. That's because he has a love for all of mankind. But the fact is, not all will be saved. Because right. if you start to say that, if we start to say that all people are a part of God's kingdom, and what we're talking about here is like kingdom of believers, then what you're teaching is is universalism. Yes, right. You're starting to teach that everybody is going to be in heaven with God. And the Bible doesn't teach that. It's very clear that there'll be a separation of sheep and goats and, and wheat and tares and all this. And so what is it that separates? And it, again, it's, again it's, I say this to show there's, there's a difference in kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so this kingdom that we're talking about here is a kingdom that can only be entered, uh, what we say so often, is by God's grace in your life, revealing the truth of the gospel to you, and by faith, you giving your life over to Christ, saying, I believe what the Bible is saying about Jesus to be true, and thus, I put I put my whole life into his hands. I, I believe his righteousness, his work, is the work that I couldn't do on my own, but he's done it for me. And so by faith, I'm, I'm calling out to God and saying, God, I repent of my sin, I seek forgiveness of my sin, and I believe your word is true and that you have forgiven me mm-hmm. and that now I am a part of your kingdom mm-hmm. Correct. as a believer. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's good. That's good. Yeah. No, and I think, so that's a good point. And I think that that question of love is is really helpful because I it is a real question people have because there's God does love all of his creation as a creator. And in the offer of the gospel to all men, we do see that Jesus loves men in the offer. I mean, I was thinking about uh, Jesus with the rich young man uh, whenever he's talking to him. And it says here, because whenever the young man says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth and Jesus, it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Mm. Even though the guy he knows is not going to follow him. <laughs> so there is also even then a, a, a certain love that God has for men whenever he offers the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. But then you're right. There's another love that is an effectual love that actually creates the saving faith. Mm-hmm. That's secret. We don't know about that. We, 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 but we do know that Jesus does offer and has compassion to all sinners and calls them to himself. But there's a special effectual love than that he has for those whom the father has given to him as, as Jesus says. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it's very important for us to maintain this distinction in these two kingdoms, because sometimes people will, will say, well, God's all of our father. Yeah. Right. right. And yeah, well, it, it, you worship God, you worship God, you do it this right. way, they do father. it this way, but in the end it's all right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and honestly that is, can, can be kind of confusing because right. the Jews worship the God of Abraham the Christians worship the God of Abraham. The Muslims worship right. the God of Abraham. Which one is the God and of so Abraham? So it's like, okay, but that's three very different faiths, very different religions. But there are some, and I think this might even be generally kind of accepted in culture, where people would, if you told them that, they'd say, well, they, they all worship the same God then. What's the big deal? Just coexist. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, what's the big deal? Now, I think others would differ when it's like, you're a Buddhist, I'm a Christian. There's We have differences. Right. I, I think people would say that. A lot of people, some would still say, no, it's still all God in the end and it'll, right. it'll work itself out. Uh, but the Bible just speaks to something very differently, doesn't it? I mm-hmm. mean, you have to be a part of his, you have to be a part of his kingdom or it'll say you have to be a part of his family, right? You have to be a part of his body. There's, mm-hmm. there's this different imagery that is, that is used there that shows a specific thing mm-hmm. and that not everybody is a part of that. Um, right. And that's the kingdom that's being, that's being talked about here. Mm-hmm. Right, because right. even when Jesus stands before Pilate, 
you know, and Pilate's wondering about this kingdom yeah. and all of this stuff. And he's like, you, oh, you think, you think the kingdom is of this world, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's like, oh, you're, you're not thinking of this right. Right. And right. he, yeah. Uh, and I think we, people still struggle with that at times right. today. Right. I mean, the Jews were. Right. And so, I mean, this also plays out even in, um, and this is getting a little off topic, but we see uh, one of the ways this plays out, this understanding of the twofold kingdom here is in the way in which we think of the relationship between the church and the world. The whole world is under God's general sovereignty in that sense. But the local church is the manifestation, the visible, it's an imperfect visibility we have, but it is the way in which the the kingdom is made visible Mm -hmm. in this world. It will be perfectly made visible in the next world, but the the local church is... um, is a manifestation of this spiritual salvific mm-hmm. kingdom mm-hmm. Uh, in which we enter uh, by by faith in in Christ. So you can't be just born into this kingdom naturally. You have to be born again mm-hmm. um, in into this 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 kingdom. So I think also this is helpful because sometimes people will talk about well the kingdom is only totally future. Yeah, right. Right. There's no kingdom now. The the only kingdom to come is is only when Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. Now, what does this? Do the scriptures really teach that, or how should we navigate when the kingdom comes? What do you think, Dave? Well, I mean, I think I think it's it's both and because it's very clear it's present. Jesus said the kingdom had the kingdom is in your midst. Right. It's it's here. Right. You know, and he says to his disciples, "I've given you the you know the keys to the kingdom." It's a right. present tense language and yet there is also like the end of matthew for example when he's you know as they're going to the temple and there he's he's discussing is it matthew 26 all the the events that will occur so that the kingdom may mm-hmm. may arrive or may be right may come in its fullness you know and and so i think it's both and um and, and you know it's interesting i was thinking about this because we especially here and, and pastor tim mentioned this in our last podcast and in the, in the sermon sunday that we have a hard time with kingdom kind of ideas or, or, or metaphors because we don't live within a kingdom, we know. And so, but in the ancient world, Pharaoh was the king. He was the god of this earth. So was the Roman emperor. And so for the ancient people, king kingdom was everything, you know. And so for Jesus to say, hey, right now is the kingdom of heaven. This is, and yet the kingdom of heaven will come in its right. fullness after all these things transpire. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful because yeah, the fullness happens and, and it yeah. even talks about the full consummation awaits the end. Yes. But but there is a uh, he has a kingdom on this earth mm-hmm. right now and it is mm-hmm. the church over which he reigns particularly through this uh, this particular special kingship. He also says in the in the Baptist faith and message that it is supposed to be an object of prayer. He says that we are to pray and to labor that the kingdom may come. Now that's being stolen obviously from the Lord's prayer yeah. where we pray your kingdom come, mm-hmm. your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, I thought this was a helpful statement again from the, the, the exposition of this um, John Paul Hill. He says this, this statement obviously alludes to the Lord's prayer. One must be careful not to misinterpret it. We do not bring the kingdom by our own effort. 
God's sovereignty is eternal, and he brings his kingdom to us as he draws near in us in mercy and love through our response to Christ. Hmm. On the other hand, a life committed, a life of committed Christian service is the sure sign that one belongs to the kingdom's flock. So I thought that was a helpful point because sometimes you get, we have the idea that it's our job to bring the kingdom. Hmm. And it's our job to make the kingdom come about. But the kingdom doesn't come through our power. It comes through the king's power by the power of the spirit actively. And I thought that was a helpful reminder. That's why we pray for it, that God's kingdom would come and um, that it would take place in our own lives, that God's reign would be manifested in our hearts and in our families and in our church's lives. Mm -hmm. But we ultimately can't bring the kingdom by our own labors or efforts, correct? Mm -hmm. We see a lot of problems that happen in societies or in movements when they think they can bring the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that takes place through violence Mm -hmm. um, in cults. Because they're trying to bring the utopia, the the, the kingdom, to, to bring it all about um, on earth right now. I mean, we see it. We see it too, though, with the prosperity gospel. Yeah. They would they would say, um, "This is God's kingdom being shed on you, right, right in prosperity, uh, and it's coming." And that's that's a false interpretation of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But the stuff you're talking about, Spencer, is very hard to think through. It really is because you're praying. And we're told to pray, your kingdom come, like Christ's return. Please, please return. Mm-hmm. Please let, you know, your kingdom come right in the new heavens and the new earth. We're supposed to be praying for those things. But at the same time, nobody knows when that is. And, only, and it says, only God the Father does. So he does know when it's happening, but yet I'm praying for it to happen. Am I changing his mind? Am I working in that? No, but there is a way in which God works through prayer. So how does that match up then to his sovereignty when it comes to like the kingdom and we're praying mm-hmm. for it to come? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how that all functions, but I know it does, and I know it works perfectly. God calls me to pray, right? But he's also sovereign. I mean, I would say that all the way down to like me being sick. I'm going to pray to get better. But if I if I don't, then did I not pray good? Uh, if I do, is it because I prayed so good or right. was it because God's crazy? Right? Sure. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard stuff to talk about. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, Geerthaus Voss and he said, uh, we live in the already, but not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I had that in my head and I was like, who said that? And it was, mm-hmm. it happened to be mm-hmm. him in mm-hmm. that book. I think that you were referencing and, uh, that is how it, that is how it is. Yeah. And I see people get hung up on that sometimes, uh, because like, is it Psalm eight? Um, or in he- I know in Hebrews it says it Hebrews ten thirteen, but that uh, I will make all your enemies a footstool mm-hmm. might be Psalm two as well, uh, actually. But um, people would say, like I would say, personally, that has happened. Uh, that on the cross, Christ said it is finished, and He has conquered all of His enemies. All the enemies have been conquered. Mm. But at the same time, we live in a moment where it's obvious those enemies are still running about. But as a Christian, those enemies have nothing on me. They can't take what Christ has right. done for me. And so I am victorious. And in, a, and in a sense, all of my enemies, because of Christ, are under his feet, thus under mine. I don't need to worry about them. But I still struggle. I still have this sin. And so I look forward to the day to when... It will actually be realized, I guess, completely that these enemies now 
don't touch me. I, I live with God forever in his glory. I don't have any hurt or any pain or anything anymore. You can't touch me. Right. And and so I think a lot of Christians struggle with that thinking because it's like, has Christ defeated all the enemies? Yes. Are they under his feet? Yes. Are his enemies still running around? Yes. yes. <laughs> like, wait, how? Yeah. Right. And so I've, I don't know, I guess I've struggled at times I've had Christians say, well, obviously his enemies aren't under his feet yet. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I would say that just flat out. I think there needs to be some more explanation mm-hmm. going here. But you can see where it can get confusing. For well, sure I, think that, I think that was the also why it was so confusing for the early church. Right. Because they were not expecting a twofold coming of Jesus mm-hmm. yeah. in the first and second coming. They were expecting whatever this Messiah figure was going to do. He was just going to come once and get it all done with. Mm-hmm. So this whole New Testament age was, uh, I think pretty hard to grasp um, uh, what's being done. So yeah, in in reality, everything has been fulfilled. Everything is being fulfilled and everything will be fulfilled um, at the last day because Paul also says um, in Romans chapter 16 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Mm -hmm. So that's the future thing going to happen. Right. And so, and yet on the other hand, um, we have trampled Satan in Christ. So, and so I guess that this just helping people, I think, and helping all of us to, to grasp that, uh, that already not yet idea mm-hmm. is so helpful mm-hmm. because, um, we're, we're not denying a future resurrection to come or right. future things like that, but those are all the fruits that flow out of his already accomplished victory. Mm-hmm. Christ rose as the first fruits and at his second coming, um, we will, we will as well in the full kingdom consummation. Uh, will take place, I think. So, and there's that statement in Matthew um, where Jesus says about, and you know, about the nations and all people will hear, and then the end will come. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting because you know, and you have a lot of missions focus on that passage. You know, we have a job to do, and we do. You know, and yet God the Father knows when that is all going to be finished. He knows when. I mean, right now I don't, I can't remember the statistic. I I just heard it recently about how many millions of people have no access to mm. the gospel, to the word of God in their own language. You know, I mean, there's still a lot of unreached people groups in you know, the 1040 yeah. window, and so obviously that fits into this plan. You know, yeah. God's kingdom plan, His redemptive plan before the return of Christ. So, so it's like. God's doing his work. The kingdom is going to come. It is here. It's going to come. And yet the church mm-hmm. has its work to do. Right. As far right. as missions and stuff like that. So right, right. It all fits together. Yeah. And Christ is at work through it all, yeah. through it all, uh, saving people. So the last time we read here, though, is then the kingdom will be consummated at Christ's uh, return. We read about that as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we read that uh, uh, Paul goes through a whole sequence of events and talks about how um, Christ will deliver up the kingdom to God the Father. Um, and also, is it Revelation eleven fifteen? Is that the? Pa- I'm going to look at this passage real quick because I think I know what it is, or I have a hunch. Um, uh, let me get it there. Um, yeah. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of the world." has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, if you know Handel's Messiah, mm-hmm. you know uh, that verse. Tim, did you know that? Did you know that? That verse right there from Handel's Messiah? I couldn't have equated it with Handel's Messiah. 
like he shall reign for there you go see there's somebody bursting in there there's a that's our programs what you saying that in the program you sang that song the hallelujah chorus i didn't but the choir did yeah 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 it's usually like the heaven scene yeah yeah Yeah. it's an awesome (laughs) it's an it's an awesome piece of music it is um so anyway but that is the ultimate goal um for God's kingdom, the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Um, and that's the final consummation where our faith will be turned to sight mm-hmm. and we will see the king uh, reign um, over uh, a renewed new heavens and earth. Um, so the kingdom will have no end. We sang that this Sunday. It is well. Our faith yeah. shall be right. shall turned to, to sight. That last Mm-hmm. Verse. Yeah, that is second coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good job. Okay. All right. That it? That's it. That's it. I that's think. That's it on We're, kingdom. That's it on kingdom. Yeah. We missed last week. We got to apologize. We didn't do a podcast for last week. Yeah. And just with with uh, vacation Bible school and stuff, it just didn't happen. Sorry. I mean, we apologize, but it happened, right? Yeah, it happened. Sorry. So, okay. All right. Well, we'll wrap up here. Then I'm going to mute everybody. Um, we're on 29 minutes. Anybody know a famous player that wore the number 29? What sport? You got to give us a little. Well, any any uh, sport. I got one in my mind right now. All of us. I can unmute you. So 29? 29. You can think of one. A famous running back. Come on. Eric Dickerson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a Rams thing. That's the only reason you He know also that. played for the Colts. Yeah, but you're thinking about the Rams. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Take care. God bless.